Johnny, get your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Take All right, it so on welcome run, to... Over there, the podcast about military history and activism in the age of Trump. Mm-hmm. My name is Terry Brennan. I'm an artistic director in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as well as an activist. Uh, my name is Matt Martin. I'm a retired Air Force officer, former drone pilot, defense analyst. I've noticed that our, our resumes get longer every time. <laughs> we got to have the bona fides. Yeah, I'm just I'm going to start listing I'm going to start listing all my jobs. I'm like also sometimes I like I consult people on like stage combat, but not uh-huh. very often. Uh that kind of thing. So, I read a lot of books. Um Yeah, right. Uh so Matt, uh how was your uh, how's your holiday? We've been gone for a little bit and uh how was your holiday? It was it was quite nice. Uh although it did get a little bit cold down in Texas and so we spent most of it uh of course indoors. Uh, but it was nice to take a little break and have a proper Christmas and, and maybe not think about the world for a couple days. Um, define <laughs> cold. Oh, yeah. Well, Texas, if it gets down into the into the 30s where you get a little bit of frost, that's that's pretty cold. <laughs> I'm pulling my hair out right now. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah. In Philly, it got down to like 10 the other day. Woof. And I was was really upset because um, when I left Omaha, Nebraska, where where I grew up and where you and I met, um, I didn't realize that moving to the East Coast would rid me of single digit temperatures. Like for the most part, like in Omaha, you were there. Yeah, it got really cold in Omaha. It did. Um, and here in Philly, it usually doesn't get below. 20 or like the high teens and that's like in january and february but this winter's been rough so yeah. hearing the 30s makes me want to like jump through this microphone and just like <laughs> uh, have a moment but anyway i'm glad to hear your holiday went really well yeah. i'm glad to hear that you did stay inside because if it was 30 i'd stay inside too yeah uh well cool my holiday was pretty uneventful and uh that's a good thing um Usually, I actually uh, normally I go to like Florida uh-huh. or somewhere. That's a great place um, to go. For... I save up some money. Yeah, I go somewhere warm and I spend like five days being like I don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the coldest year, I was like, I kind of like I kind of like messed up my schedule this year and I didn't have the money to go. So, uh-huh. but it was fine. Uh, the holidays were good. And I did a lot of reading. It's good. Did you do uh, any reading over your break? Of course. As you always, anything good. Yeah, so so uh, I'm working I'm working working through a couple things right now. The um, uh, the Grant biography, uh, the Chernow Grant biography, is amazing. I highly recommend it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the same. You know, if, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of Hamilton fans out there, and of course, the musical Hamilton uh, was inspired by the um, by the Chernow biography of Alexander Hamilton. Well, he's turned his considerable talent towards the subject of Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, and it's uh, it's a it's a great book. I, I I can't recommend it enough. Oh, great, great! Um, I did a lot of reading of the news, which I should know better, mm. uh, but I did it anyway. <laughs> and uh, some days it was good, some days it was bad. Uh, yeah. It brings me to so there's this new book coming out, which uh, I'm sure by the time this airs, a lot of people have heard a lot about uh, Fire and Fury. Uh, by Michael Wolff, which is all about the first year in the Trump administration. That's a great title. Uh, yeah. Have you um, have you read any of the excerpts from that book? Uh, I've seen a few. I've seen a few excerpts in in the popular media. Uh, pretty uh, <laughs> uh, pretty shocking stuff. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> yeah, I um, 
the thing that stuck out to me, which I want to talk to you a little bit about, is the in the one of the one of the excerpts, the one that's like kind of making its rounds right now on Twitter and Facebook, is this it's a pretty long excerpt as far as like social media reading goes, because I clicked it open and was like, this is fascinating. And then I had to quit halfway through because I was getting ready for work and I was like, oh, oh, I got to go. I'm going to be late. Uh, so I came back to it. <clears throat> but one of the things that hit me is like I was like, I knew it. Yeah. But then after doing a quick victory dance, felt really conflicted about was the fact that they mentioned that uh, apparently, according to this book. Donald Trump never really expected to win the presidency. Imagine that. Imagine that, right? And and what got me was, like, you know, and they talked about this during the election. I remember some of the podcasts I was listening to were like, um, they were like, I don't think he really is making a serious go of it. I They were saying he was looking at um, doing it for media exposure afterwards. Uh, they, there was they were floating the idea of like a, a Trump network or something with Roger Ailes or Rupert Murdoch. I forget which one of them. And so this was like him getting his bona fides. And I remember like but there was like speculation that like that was a thing. And other people were like, no, that's not a thing. He's serious. But then reading this uh, excerpt and I'm going to probably get the book. I think it comes out uh, Friday. So it'll be out by the time this goes up is that. um I was like, I knew it. And now I want to know more. But it really then I got to thinking and I thought, you know, so often when you're a pessimist, <laughs> being right is the worst. Right. When when you are an anxiety ridden person, you don't want to be right. You really want to be wrong, even when you're really sure you're right. You're like <laughs> hoping, hoping, hoping. And I was like, so what is this? I'm curious on your opinion. Yeah. It's got me a little freaked out. I mean, it explains the fact that he's got no, and I shouldn't say no positions filled, but like there are significant amounts of positions that aren't filled still, in the White House or in still, the military. Yeah. Hundreds of positions. Still, after a year. At the, at, after a year, hundreds of positions at the highest levels of the federal government in every department that you can name, there are still major vacancies. Uh, because the Trump administration has just decided not to nominate people for them. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me something. I'm curious on your opinion. How worried should I be? <laughs> and we know that I'm, I've got a penchant for the dramatic. So, yeah. um, you know, we can be like real about it. But like, how worried should people be that we have a person in charge who, and this is alleged because there's a lot of people challenging the credibility of the book, although most of the people challenging the credibility are the Trump administration themselves. Yeah. And, uh, but how, how worried should I be that, that there's a man in the Oval Office who commands the largest military in the world right now, or maybe the most powerful, maybe not the largest. Not the largest, um, but the most powerful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how worried should I be that there's a guy who's in charge of that who legit didn't think he'd win, so legit didn't really give it much thought? So yeah, you should be you should be worried. There's some things to worry about. No question. Uh you now they may not be the things that you think you should be worried about. Um but there are some things you should be worried about for sure. Okay, so what give me a fast a fast rundown of like what are the what are the things that what are like the top 3 things off the top of my head? that people probably think they should be worried about when they hear that Donald Trump assumed he'd lose, so he didn't bother to uh, vet anyone. Right. 
Well, I, just just uh, you know, casually scanning the the social medias. Uh, my, 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 <laughs> there's many of them. There's many of them. Uh, you know, my impression is that the things you know, the people who are worried about uh, who the president is, um, which is not everybody, but a lot of people, certainly the people that we spend a lot of time with, um, they're worried about you know Trump casually starting a nuclear war. They're worried about. Uh, if not a nuclear war, um, some him casually starting some other type of war. They're worried about um, Trump casually allowing Russia to take over major parts of you know American power and influence. Uh, and then, of course, they're worried about um, rollback of civil rights and uh, uh, rollback of environmental efforts and things like that. And, and there are, you know, to a greater or lesser extent, those are legitimate. Um, I'm not super worried about Trump spontaneously and impulsively and without any, you know, reason starting a nuclear war. I just don't think that's something he's he's going to be able to do. Um, I don't I'm not super concerned about him uh, starting some other type of war in some place that we're not already involved. I'm not super worried about uh, him just withdrawing from major cooperative security uh, regimes like NATO or the UN. Um, he's not going to be able to do those things. Um, I am worried about the deconstruction of the State Department. I am worried about the uh, rollback of the regulatory state. Uh, th- those are things to be concerned about. Um, but that's a different type of concern than worrying about the the world ending in nuclear fire under Donald Trump. So... It sounds like well, you hit some of my anxieties on the head. Um, you uh, so what you're saying it sounds like is that which is I've given some thought to those things too. Basically, the idea that like in some ways the things to worry about are the fact that he's 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 making it harder to govern, like and not him, but like other people in other agencies are going to have a harder time doing their jobs because he's either not appointing people to posts or in a lot of ways he's rolling back regulations or yeah. workplace protections for government workers that that help help these people to do their jobs independent of the executive branch. Yeah, well th- think about it like this. You know, the reason why we have uh these large uh federal agencies, uh the reason why we have millions of bureaucrats, uh government professionals uh both in and out of uniform uh and of course all of these laws and all of these regulations uh, those those are all, those were all put in place um, to mitigate the risk of something bad happening, and almost always because something bad had happened, right? Either there was a uh, you know uh, pollution or some other environmental damage, or maybe there was uh, you know a string of industrial accidents, uh, or maybe you know in the case of something like NATO. It was World War II, right? Or the UN, right? The, U- mm-hmm. the UN was established, you know, because of World War II uh, and because World War II was so terrible, um, all of the nations that had sort of survived World War II, with the United States being the leader of that group of nations, decided, hey, we need to, do, we need to have a structural change to mitigate the risk of something like that happening again. Uh, when, when Trump... Uh, you know, decides that we're not going to fully engage in various diplomatic processes because we don't believe in trade agreements or we're not going to, um, 
we're not going, you know, we're going to give corporations a freer hand. We're not going to enforce various regulations. We're going to appeal, repeal a lot of uh, Obama-era regulations. Yeah, there may be some inefficiency that was introduced when we introduced those new sets of rules and bureaucratic structures, but we were also mitigating risk, and so we are reintroducing that risk back into our lives. And the risk of industrial accidents will go up. The risk of environmental damage will go up. The risk of conflicts uh, will go up and the risk of the United States not having the influence to control the escalation of those conflicts will also go up um, under the approach that the Trump administration seems to be taking. Well, you had me calm down for a minute, but then you (laughs) took me back into the fire. Um, Well, I have some things to run by you here then. Yeah. Um, It's a new year and I'm trying to make a new me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, trying to make a less stressed me, mm-hmm. but just as effective, right? I don't want to like, I don't want to up and quit and be like 2017. I fought a lot. All right, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I don't want that to be it. Right. But I also have to, uh, kind of like, this is, you know, uh, I have to plan. Hopefully we're not in for four years, but I have to plan for four years. Like I have to be real. Like he might serve out his entire term. And even yeah. if he doesn't, even if he gets booted, Pence takes over and I'm not a big fan of, of, uh, Mikey either. Uh-huh. So, I have a quick prudent or paranoid session I want oh, to yeah, buy sure. you. Let's do it. Um, these are some things that I've been thinking a lot about, and I wanted to get your input. Um, for example, because I spent so much time reading news over the holiday break, um, I've decided that uh, this year I'm going to continue reading the news. I'm going to continue being informed, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to read every news story compulsively like I've been for the past year. <laughs> okay. Uh that's you're wondering so that I need your ruling on that. Is that is that I mean, I, don't, I, I guess it's probably prudent, but it's is that is that naive or not naive? Is that lazy? Not compulsively reading every news story that grabs your attention. Uh, no, that's not naive. Uh, you, who's got time for all that? <laughs> Uh, with the uh, last you know, year, we, I did. In case you were curious, <laughs> last year you did. Um, no, you, of course not. You, you you could spend all your time reading everything on Reddit uh, and um, or your Twitter feed and um, not be that much more informed about anything. Uh, you know, and if you think about it, especially because you know, we, we were talking a little bit ago about how you know just just when you think, hey, we're we might we might get through this thing, <laughs> you know. Some something happens, right? Trump tweets something that's outrageous, or there's some scandalous re- revelation, right? Or or something happens and that immediately distracts everybody and gets their attention. And you can spend all your time reading about that. Of course, everyone's got a hot take. You get all the pundits who are going to tell you why or that is or isn't important or what they should be concerned about. You could you could immerse yourself in that stuff twenty four seven and ultimately not be super informed. Um, you know, and of course the most thoughtful stuff, um, by the most thoughtful journalists are going to be investigative pieces that take some time for them to produce. And then will take some time for you to read and digest and understand and get at what the true nature of the problems are that need to be tackled in the world. Right? So no, you should be, you shouldn't be reading everything. You should be identifying, uh, key sources of information, 
books and magazines and printed newspapers um, with journalists who have a proven track record of understanding these issues and being able to illuminate them and not pundits who are just giving you their opinion about something. Uh, And I think I've mentioned before when it comes to defense issues, uh, I'm a big fan of Dexter Filkins. I'm a big uh, fan of... of, uh, uh, Rick Thomas, Fred Kaplan, uh, there, are, there are others. The Atlantic is a great publication. Uh, you should be, you know, uh, saving your time and your energy for things that are actually going to help you understand the world and focus the action that you're going to take and not just compulsively reacting to the news cycle. Prudent. Okay, well, that sounds then like that's prudent. Yeah. I'd say so. All right. And and you said so. And, and having that inform my action kind of leads us into the next thing that I was going to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and by the way, for the people who are listening to this, in case they're curious, um, I don't run these by you before I tell them to you. <laughs> no, it's true. This, this is all fresh. Uh, so so I was like, oh, that, that, that segues really well. And I'm sure someone's like, of course it is. You wrote this. <laughs> I literally just like, I mean, Matt sometimes knows if we're going to do prudent or paranoid. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't. But I, I, yeah, you're always getting these like for real right now. So right. Um, my, my next one is that um, I'm still going to I'm still going to act every day. Like I run an activism group on Facebook. Uh-huh. We still do actions every day. But I've been calling people for about a year and um, the actions in order to plan for longevity, in order to make sure that I make it these four years. They're not all calls. I'm not calling and I'm not. And even some of the calls I make, they're not all combative. So this year I'm taking a tack that I'm going to still be pushing, but I'm also going to make sure that I make it so I can't get into fights with staffers on the phone every day because I will burn out. Prudent or paranoid. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's that, that's yeah. This is a marathon. Uh, you're going to have to pace yourself. Um now, I mean, there is something to be said for dogged uh, activism and and persistently um, making contact with your representatives so they have a, you know, they don't think that it's just a, you know, what we don't want, we don't want, especially uh, those representatives who we think are not doing the best job in the world, uh, we don't want them thinking that we're going to get tired and go away, right? We're going to, we're going, we want them to know that we are here for the long haul we are paying attention, um, and we're not going to let them off the hook uh, when they don't represent us, right? Um, I don't know that you need to call every day to do that, uh, I've, particularly if they have town halls and you go to the town halls and you're organized, uh, and then, of course, by supporting the candidates that are running against them uh, and making them really fight for those districts, you know, that's how you're going to, uh, that's gonna, how you're going to show them that you're serious. So, uh, you know, if it can't, if now, if, if it, if it's a question of calling or doing nothing, obviously you want to, you want to call, but if you can save a little bit of energy on a daily basis so that you can focus, you know, everyone's busy, everyone's got lives, but if you can focus a couple hours a week on something that's going to make a difference, like swinging a district, uh, that is going to be the best use of your time and energy. No question. All right. Prudent. We're on a roll. Prudent. All right. Now, this next one's a little bit off the track. It's it's related, but it's not related. Um, and that is that so recently uh, President Trump tweeted that he has a bigger nuclear button on his desk oh, yeah. Yeah. and it works. And it works. And because of that, he 
I was kind of I was kind of doing this anyway because uh, I don't like the cold weather in Philadelphia. It drives me nuts. Um, so I've always I always kind of like look around for other places in the U.S. to live and things like that. But <laughs> my livelihood's here. But like yeah. I also look anyway. And sure. Then I got I was looking at places and and then I started looking at American friendly cities in Europe. Oh boy! Uh, because I thought to myself that might be the place to be right now. Uh-huh. Prudent or paranoid? <laughs> um, okay, so you, you're like, you're talking, you know, not, not because there's a great job opportunity or because you want to spend some time abroad to enrich yourself, but you're like physically scared to be in the United States and so you want to go abroad for a long p- period of time. That's what you're asking? Yeah, I was like looking at places that I could run away to in uh-huh. case... Uh, Nuclear fire came raining down, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Uh, so that's we're getting into the paranoid uh, section. Uh, you know, America is still super safe. Uh, you know, crime has really, like, with with very few exceptions in a few few cities, uh, crime has never been lower, and uh, the risk of nuclear war is is very very low. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, Trump is, you know, even if he had the thought that, hey, I'm just going to launch some nukes today, apropos of nothing, uh, it's going to be really tough for him to do because there are still adults in the room. And, you know, it would actually be like just to kill a million civilians because you're feeling, you know, you got up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever, uh, is going to be a tough order for the military to follow, right? Uh, that's not, that's not going to happen. What might happen is over time, a slow, uh, decrease in global stability, which could ultimately result in a regional conflict, which could ultimately escalate into a larger regional conflict, kind of like what's happened in, in Syria. Uh, but that's not going to res- result in, in nuclear war happening. And so moving out of America to get to some place that's not going to be in the crosshairs of Russian missiles, uh, is paranoid. Don't do that. Okay. Well, and also it's really expensive. Um, (laughs) the number one place I found was, uh, I forget the name of the city, the capital of Austria, eight years in a row. Um, (laughs) it's cold there though. So I also was like, "Eh." so it's up north. So, all right. So, um, there's some good ones on that list though. Uh, some nice, a lot of them weren't warm. I will say that a lot of them were like, I was like, I'm just moving to another Philadelphia where no one speaks English. Um, (laughs) Uh But actually, one of the things, uh, one of the one of the uh, points, or one of the they 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 graded it on a scale, and one of the things that went into that was like how many people spoke English, so that you wouldn't have to start completely um, completely out being like I don't even know this language. Moving on, because it's so expensive, one of the other things I did look into is if the city of Philadelphia has zoning requirements in case I wanted to dig a really <laughs> deep basement in my backyard. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, okay. You want to, you want to, you think about building your own fallout shelter. <laughs> I was just, I just, what if I needed a really deep basement? So that's not in my house. You know, you, you, you see this, uh, there's, this is a, this is a thing in America, right? Uh, people who call themselves preppers and who are busy preparing for the end of the world. Uh, we've had this discussion. The world has never ended. It's never happened. Yeah, that's true. We are still here. <laughs> We're still as here. In the world, anyway. <laughs> uh, and there, there were times in our history when uh, we were much, much closer 
to the nuclear precipice and when miscalculation or or just accident could have actually touched off global thermal nuclear conflict. The Russians had 30,000 nuclear weapons pointed at us. We had 30,000 nuclear weapons pointed at them. Uh, in fact, in 1983, uh, the, the uh, Strategic Air Command elevated their defensive posture to just one step below launching the nuclear weapons on multiple occasions. Uh, we're nowhere near that today. Nowhere near. Uh, and it's, it's not easy to build a nuclear fallout shelter if you want it to work. Uh, it would cost a lot of money. It uh, would take a lot of time and energy. Uh, and you, you will gotta dig it really deep, right? <laughs> you got to dig it really deep and you need some sort of blast structure over the top, steel reinforced concrete with a lead lining oh. to protect you from uh, the radiation. And then you need some sort of ventilation system. You need water purification. Of course, you got to stock it up with provisions. Uh, it's a lot of work and it would cost a lot of money. And there are people who do this, right? There are people who live out in the country who are convinced the world's going to end any day now and spend all their money preparing for it. And they have uh, basements full of canned goods that they will never eat, right? Because it's, it's not going to happen. Take that time, take that energy, focus it on getting your representatives into Congress, doing what you can to actually change the political dynamic in the United States, I guarantee you that will be effort much better spent than preparing for the end of the world. Paranoid. That's fair. That's fair. So, okay, okay, that's fair. Last one, though, I think is like, I don't know, this one, it could, it could go either way, uh-huh. you know. Uh, because I had a feeling you would think moving to Europe or making a... <laughs> A bomb basement was paranoid. Uh-huh. I did think, well, you know, like, you never know, but, like, probably not. But, like, if there's a blast, too, like, I might not even be in the blast zone, you know? <laughs> but, like, there is problems afterwards. So I've I've started lining all of my clothes on the inside with lead. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That way, that way I can appear calm and relaxed, but I can go out into the nuclear winter and just like go about my business. Yeah. So <laughs> uh that's that's a that's kind of that's a that's it's past paranoia that's a, a little on the ri- ridiculous side. You you, oh, you should okay. you shouldn't well, do that. <laughs> I thought that maybe that one would get a lower, like almost paranoid or paranoid minus, but okay, fair enough. You you you, um, you might actually give yourself lead poisoning if you try something like that. That's true. I have uh, I have had a stomach ache and headaches ever since I started <laughs> yeah. doing it. So all right, take a take a um, break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm tomorrow all cotton, all cotton. That's a good idea. It's a, uh, so, it's a natural fiber. Really- one of the things you wanted to talk about was um, it's New Year, right? New yeah. Year, uh, new n- new worries. Yeah. And um, you wanted to talk about some some potential 2018 security concerns. Like, what are the things that we might need to look at this year, or not look at, but like you know, uh, I don't even want to say be worried about, but like be mindful of. You know what I mean? Like sure. we have. We have a president who, as we've established, probably didn't think he was going to win. And even if he did think he was going to win, his actions have clearly demonstrated that he's not super serious about the job. Yeah. And so and 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 then the other thing is, is that the world is taking notice um, in some in good ways, some in bad ways, uh, some in ways that are just, you know, not good or bad, but different. But what is that? What is that kind of where does that put us? In 2018, like you already mentioned that one of the things that I've thought about a lot is that we're losing influence. Yeah. 
Um, people don't take us or people countries don't take us as seriously. The biggest one that has been on my mind in the, in the, uh, the neighborhood of like influence and like, and dealing with other nations diplomatically is the, uh, declaring Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, Uh even though there's all sorts of like political reasons why we haven't done that before and how now the Palestinians are like, well, you're not a neutral arbiter. Right. And so, well, for example, let's just start there. That's one of them is diminished influence. Like, and what is that going to mean for us as a country? And and more importantly, like, what is that going to mean? Does that really mean anything for me or you in our day-to-day lives? Yeah. So, so for, you know, looking ahead to these, these security concerns, it's really easy to get to, to sort of focus on, the on the big controversies that that Trump is deliberately sparking to uh, to get us to focus on him uh, versus focusing on larger structural issues. Right. So the real structural issue with the uh, Israeli Palestinian conflict, and I've spent some time in Israel, highly sympathetic to the Israeli cause. uh, But the the structure, you know, the, the 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 structural problem that they have is the inability of the Palestinians to create their own country, and a country that's that's more or less independent and it has a independent economy and independent ability to protect itself, uh, clearly defined borders, the ability to engage in international relationships, all of the things that contribute to stability. Uh, and there's a whole number of reasons why they are having a very difficult time building that that sort of state, uh, and. The Israeli uh, siege mentality that they are sort of naturally prone to because they have always existed in this sea of turmoil uh, and their instinctive need or their, their instinct to create buffer zones and to try to put as much distance between them and their Arab neighbors as possible and to not engage in cooperative security measures that would introduce stability because in the past, uh, before Israel was a country, uh, they were, you know, they were, they they were not included in those, and the result was that utter catastrophe during the Holocaust, right? Um, and it's just a terrible problem. Um, the, you know, whether or not we recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, of course, it it has been the the, the de facto capital of Israel for many years. The parliament is there; all their major government institutions are there. Uh, so. You know, on on the one hand, it's it's a mere recognition of reality. On the other hand, it's it's this it's this uh, symbolic thing, uh, but it's also kind of a sideshow, right? The real uh, the real issue at hand is establishing a structure that introduces stability into the relationship, and that can only happen through treaties and through uh, international institutions uh, and. The, you know, uh, empowering the Palestinians to build a, a legitimate nation. Um, and when the United States takes a side on, you know, takes a side on behalf of one of those countries, uh, it, like you said, it makes us not a neutral arbiter, but it also makes it very difficult for us to negotiate into place these international structures that would introduce that type of stability or to be comfortable with somebody like the UN uh, coming in or some other coalition coming in and being that international structure, right? And so that's the thing, that's the source of instability. That's the thing we should be focusing on. 
the source of like why pal- the Palestinians have such a hard time creating like an independent state. Well, sure, right, right, and that that has to go with their you know has to do with their ability to have a functioning economy, and of course the fact that that you know some place like the Gaza Strip, everything that goes into and out of that piece of territory is completely controlled by the Israelis, uh, and so they you know the Palestinians can't really have their own functioning economy. Uh, they you know of course the the Palestinians to build like a a legitimate security establishment, right? They'd need to make their own police and their own military. And so they would need uh, resources to do that. And they have a very difficult time doing that. Um, They would need help with UN organizations like UNESCO in order to help them build all the structures that you need in place to get like clean water and transportation and to move goods around and, you know, all of the, all of the bureaucratic uh, boring things that it takes to run a country, um, they are having a very difficult time doing because of the way they are, the access to their territory is being controlled by the Israelis. Yeah, no, I, and I'm very familiar with that. It's a, uh, it's kind of refreshing. It's, it's tough to talk about. Um, that's like, that could be a whole like three podcasts of its own mm-hmm. is, um, Israeli-Palestinian relations, but it's, um, but it sounds like what you're saying is that like, it's again, it's the boring stuff. It's like, um, yes, I mean, the, the, the declaration of Jerusalem as the capital, even though it really you know, it was the de facto capital, but is in some ways sort of like a, uh, a, a bit of an affront because of the fact that the Palestinians yeah. were like, well, we want part of Jerusalem mm-hmm. for our capital as well. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is the problem here is less about the the large sideshow of it and the fact that, like, again, it comes down to, like, boring things like infrastructure, water, um, and, and how to solve those problems. And I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, like, by listening to the fact that Jared Kushner is in charge of the <laughs> peace process, I mean, I think says it all, like, it's you know to to be like this. He's handsome. He should he should go. Right. He's handsome. Jared should go talk. Everyone likes Jared. Um, is uh, is frustrating. So yeah. So do you think that do you think that the Mid East peace process or lack thereof is going to be a security concern uh, this uh, this year? Uh, it's you know it it it's no not really. It's it's I mean it's a th- it's a it's a thing that if it continues along its current path is one of those things that contributes to increased regional instability and instability is bad and when regional conflicts break out it it makes it harder to contain them but it, it it's really of almost no real security concern to us Right. Um, there's nothing, anything. That, oh, so when you say security concern, you're not talking about, talking about global security. You're talking more about like, like U.S. security. Right. I mean, there's there's nothing, anything. There's nothing that Hezbollah or Hamas could do that's going to affect any American citizen, unless you go there. Right. That's just not within mm-hmm. the, when they're within their power to do. Uh, we want we want Israel to be stable. We want Israel to be able to defend herself, and so we're going to continue to give uh, Israel massive amounts of military aid. Uh, but at the same time, we want that for the other countries. Uh, and the, great, the more that we can bolster that, the more stable the region will be. Um, about the worst that could happen is something that, like what's happening in Syria right now, uh, or that happened, which is uh, you know a weak state led to 
um, a civil war, which led to safe haven for terrorists, which led to the rise of ISIS, which meant that we then had to go in and bomb ISIS and defeat them. And, um, you know, we haven't lost a ton of, of, of American blood or treasure in that, but it's an expensive endeavor. Uh, and we certainly don't want that conflict expanding t- into southern Europe uh, or to or further east. Um, that could potentially be bad. And we don't want the Russians to be able to use that as an opportunity to increase their uh, influence in the world and their ability to manipulate countries. We don't want the Chinese using that as a vacuum to expand their uh, sphere of influence. But those are all marginal things that will have a small impact over time. Uh, And but it's one of the reasons why we need a robust State Department with lots of experts in it. It's reason why USAID needs a proper budget. It's uh, the reason why the International Red Cross needs to be properly. All of these things, right? And so uh, and it, that has more to do with what Congress is doing and the f- allocation of funding and their ability to pass budgets and all of that than it does, you know, Trump just being the bull in the pi- China shop and throwing his weight around and trying to get what he wants, which who knows what he wants, right? I don't think he knows a lot of days. I mean, based on based on this book I read, it sounds like he doesn't, or not the book, the excerpt I read. He doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know what and he wants. I've always suspected. Yeah. yeah, I've always suspected that. Uh, I mean, you only have to read one interview or watch one press conference to realize that he's he's just he's just up there doing like a pretty uninformed improv. Yeah. Like he's legit just up there, just kind of winging it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's very he impulsive. Even, yeah, and he hasn't. He, and he, you, you wonder if he even read bullet points ahead of time. I think yeah. he's. Um, <laughs> so, talk to me about <clears throat> big security concerns of 2018. So there, that are on your brain, right? So there is a a regional security concern that I'm very concerned about in the Middle East, uh, and it has to do with the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, the, these are the two regional powers uh, in 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 the Middle East. Uh, and, you know, because of our uh, ongoing prosecution of terrorism ever since 9-11, because of our sort of instinctive, uh, you know, reaction to hunt down terrorists wherever they are, uh, and which has led to our interventions in Yemen and in East Africa and in other parts of that region, uh, we have sort of ended up on the side of the Saudi Arabians. Uh, of course, uh, this all started uh, in 1990 during the Desert Storm when we needed those bases in Saudi Arabia, uh, and so we had to, to get into Iraq, and so we had to sort of become an ally of the Saudis. Of course, the, them having all the oil doesn't hurt. Uh, so we developed this cooperative relationship, security relationship with Saudi Arabia, and we sell them all kinds of weapons. We have all kinds of advisors there. And we have all kinds of American companies that are providing training and logistic support to the Saudi military. Uh, And for the Saudi bombing campaign in Yemen, uh, we are directly enabling that with intelligence, with command and control, with communications, with logistics. Uh, And in fact, they they would really not be able to sustain that combat operation in Yemen without direct U.S. assistance. Uh, But somehow we have sort of ended up on the side that uh, of supporting Saudi Arabia when they are directly combating the uh, the Houthis who are a proxy for the Iranians, and we've sort of allowed ourselves to be drawn into this regional conflict between the Iranians and the Saudi Arabians. And the concern is that 
and, and in the process, we've sort of allowed the the relationship uh, of some of our other allies in the area, like Qatar uh, and Jordan and um, uh, the United Arab Emirates, to fray a little bit in relationship to Saudi Arabia. We've let we've kind of let Saudi Arabia take the you know kind of throw their weight around uh, on the western side of the Arabian Gulf, uh, and that increases the likelihood that there will be a direct confrontation between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And if we're on the side of the uh, of the Saudi Arabians and the Russians are the on the side of the of, of the Arabian of the Iranians, that could lead to real problems, to a, like a real world power conflict that could escalate. That's a real concern and the way to stop it is by you know, Congress is allocating all of these funds to provide all of this aid to Saudi Arabia. They are approving weapon sales. Uh, and Donald Trump is com- completely disengaged because he was wined and dined by the Saudis. Uh, and he's allowed the, 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 the Defense Department to kind of just do whatever they do, which is instinctively to go fight terrorists. Uh, that's something that Congress needs to assert a role in. That's one of the things I'm concerned about. Okay, that was much scarier than I thought it would be. Uh, I am, I am now like, oh, oh dear! You you just described an, a, a potential like new Cold War. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that's okay. So there's that. I I was not even aware of. That's pretty. That's pretty like in the weeds, not in a bad way, but like that's. I had no idea that that was like an issue at sure. the moment. Right. And I knew we were selling Saudi Arabia weapons and I wasn't super happy about it because like I'm not a huge fan of Saudi Arabia, but um yeah. <laughs> but I didn't realize that there was this large regional conflict a brewing. Yeah, you know, I I've spent some time in Saudi Arabia. Uh there are lots of nice people there. Uh there are lots of people there who don't want a, a regional conflict to break out between them and the Iranians. Uh but there are also nice people in Iran as well. Uh, right now, you know, we've, there's all of these protests going on in Iran. Uh, that is actually one of the things that contributes towards instability, right? It's, it's, uh, there's this classic theory in international relations known as the death watch theory. And it's the idea that when you have a weak regime that's in danger of collapsing because they're not good at governing their own countries, uh, they could either collapse or they could start new international conflicts. And when they start new international conflicts, then they, that sort of, there's a rally around the flag effect where the people of the country say, well, you know, our leaders are terrible, but our enemies are worse. And so therefore, <laughs> therefore we have to support our terrible government or these even worse uh, international actors are going to invade our country or whatever, right? And so when we, you know, this is another uh, area of Trump impulsivity that could cause some issues because sure, we want democracy to happen in Iran, um, but when we sort of instinctively uh, criticize the Iranian government and laud the protesters, um, we are playing into a narrative that the Iranian uh, government is trying to push of, uh, hey, the world is a dangerous place, and we, the, the brutal government of Iran, is the only thing between you and, and the enemies of the world, right? So we have to be very careful about that. We still want to support democracy using different tools, um, but we don't want to push 
you know, the Iranian government into taking brutal measures and potentially starting conflicts that could escalate. Ugh. All right, what's another security concern on your mind? Uh, uh, the, uh, another security concern I have is the, the growing expansion of China's influence in the world. Uh, okay, yeah, let me jump in on that uh-huh. one. That's something that I've been concerned about for years, but this has rapidly escalated ever since the, well... Uh, the election before the election of 2016, and this is a, this is probably a little bit adjacent to what you're going to address. But one of the things that's always bothered me is China's growing influence in its sort of like part of the world, and not only their military influence, but their diplomatic influence, and especially their economic influence. And there's a lot of people out there that were not big fans of the TPP, and. I was, because while the TPP was not like an ideal agreement by any stretch, it was designed to keep China out of a number of markets that they could just move into Mm -hmm. and sort of establish like economic dominance in the region. And since we pulled out of it, which we may or may not have if Hillary Clinton were elected, she said she didn't want the TPP because it wasn't popular. But for all we know, she would have gone back on that once she was in office. Um, but Trump absolutely pulled because he doesn't even know what it is. And now there are a number of, um, basically like agreements that, that we, you know, this was going to keep China at bay and kind of like kind of isolate them a little bit. And now there's, there's a lot of economic vacuums in Southeast Asia and China is moving in and they have the economic power to sort of like become a major player there and in some ways even force us out right and they are the the chinese recognize this uh and when they see the u.s withdrawing from the world they recognize that power vacuum and are becoming very quick to jump in there uh for example you may not have heard this um but uh the the amount you know the you have the United Nations. The United Nations has peacekeeping forces in various places around the world, various different hotspots where the Security Council has authorized some sort of UN intervention. And the way the UN provides those peacekeeping forces is that they are those forces are donated by uh, various member nations, right? Uh, and in return, they get a small stipend per soldier that they that they uh, contribute. And so a lot of nations, uh, small nations like Pakistan and Bangladesh, uh, that have small military budgets, but want to have large militaries use the UN uh, peacekeeping operations as a way to make it a little extra money to fund the forces that they want to maintain. And then in return, they, they send these forces to the Congo, they send them to the Sinai Peninsula, they send them to these different hotspots, right? Uh, the, typically, uh, the major financial contributors to these peacekeeping operations are the Norwegian com- countries, some of the Western European countries, and of course, the United States of America. We, we are the largest contributor to NATO. We're the largest contributor to the UN. Uh, and it's not disproportionate to our share of the global economy. It's actually uh, lower than our share of the global economy. Um, but it's because we have the world's largest economy. It's a, it's a lot of money, right? Um, the, the U.S. over the last year has dramatically reduced its financial contributions to the UN. And we were already way behind in our dues. Uh, it's just not politically attractive to give a lot of money to the UN. And so we have dramatically cut back that contribution. 
Do you know who has made up the difference in the lack of U- U.S. contributions to U.N. peacekeeping operations? <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, you guess it. It's the Chinese, right? And so now they have the voice. Uh, they have the influence to say, we want to fund U.N. peacekeeping operations in this country, but not in this country. We want to bolster this government and not this government. And now they, they have some, you know, in, Af- in Central Africa, in um, some parts of the Pacific Rim, they are now having an influence that even four or five years ago, we just could not have imagined, right? That's, that's bad. That's one of those things that over time increases the instability in those regions. Yeah, and also diminishes um, <clears throat> any voice that we might have in the name of human rights or right. anything else that we want to pursue. Um, it sounds like it just sounds like the the diminished capacity for for being a world power is uh, is giving way to China potentially becoming. Uh, I mean, they already are a world power, but becoming like potentially the world power. Potentially That's- the world power, not just the world power that we could over time shift to a system of international uh, governance, for lack of a better term, um, that whose agenda is determined by the Chinese. Right. That yes, the Chi- which I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows, but just in case you don't, which is like a communist nation and a totalitarian regime with poor records of human rights and uh, and a pretty grim uh, law and order situation. Right. And, and also high levels of corruption. And so, you know, you, it'd be one thing if if all of their if all of their actions in the world were the result of some sort of political ideology, right? And to a certain extent, they do have that, right? But of course, they are also now this booming capitalist country, and they're trying to expand their economic influence in the world and make a lot more money and sell a lot more Chinese goods. Uh, And a lot of that is because a ton of that money ends up in the pockets of various Chinese government officials, right? Which means, um, you know, they may not have any motivation to... Uh, uphold international standards of governance and regulation and they may take you know the where they decide to put their factories may be a function of who is willing to bribe them right oh yeah oh no that's that's the thing um yes so china uh the yes the i've been worried about china for since like 98 or 99 um and I must say that, like, I've gotten a number of gray hairs this year that I can attribute directly to the People's Republic of China um, because of how quickly things have moved along under the withdrawal of the United States from the world stage. Um, give me a give me a third one. A third one. OK, so the, the, the one the third one that I continue to harp on and it's related to these first two uh, is just our simple our, our, our lack of our, our ability of us as a nation to comprehend these problems, digest these problems, plan for them, and then carry out those plans, right? So, you know, with regard to the international order, you, you know, there, there's a reason why the UN headquarters is in New York, right? Uh, and that, uh, the U.S. has major presence, you know, permanent member of the Security Council, uh, permanent member of these other U.N. bodies. There's a reason why uh, every combat commander in NATO is an American, 
right? That the, 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 the supreme allied commander of Europe is always an American. Uh, there's a reason why um, the Federal Aviation Administration sort of sets the international standards for global air travel. There's a reason why the U.S. Merchant Marine sets the standard for shipping on the high seas, right? It's because uh, in the immediate aftermath of World War II, the United States was the only, not only the, the, the largest economy in the world because we we're the only one that wasn't completely destroyed, but we were the, the only sort of uh, uninterested actors, right? We, we wanted to make sure World War II never happened again, but we also didn't have these huge empires that had been taken apart by the war and that we were trying to reassert. You know, we weren't going around trying to uh, preserve a, a, a decaying colonial establishment. We were sort of the, the the country that wanted to establish, uh, you know, uh, safety for democracy across the globe, right? And and because of that, we haven't had major global conflict since 1945, right? Everything that we think of as big conflicts like Korea or Vietnam or Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, brush fires compared to World War Two, World War One, which both of which almost completely destroyed the international order, right? And resulted in tens of millions of, of deaths worldwide, right? Uh, when, when we can't pass a defense budget every year, when uh, our, the way we plan for the funding, the resourcing, the organization of our military has more to do with whose bases are in whose congressional districts. And of course, when every major bill has to be passed along a party line vote, it makes us fundamentally ill-equipped to preserve this global order that has kept the peace since 1945, and that's a real problem. Again, it comes down to boring stuff. Yeah. Um, And I don't mean that insultingly. I just mean, like, it comes down to, like, things that are not as flashy to pay attention to, they don't make headlines as easily. And it comes down to sort of like really drilling down on our representatives for especially this last one, like what you were saying, like passing, passing a military budget. Yeah. When was the last time they passed a military budget again? 2008. <laughs> Man, I thought it was 2011. Whoops. Um, so even now, even now with the Republicans controlling the entire federal government, we're halfway through the fiscal year. And they have still not passed the defense budget. We're on another continuing resolution. It's, it's, it's maddening. And so I think – so a big part of this, like you were saying, just comes back to like making sure that we're communicating this, right? Yeah. Now, I have uh, – next, next, next time we sit down and chat, I, I want to spend a little time on – I think what I'd like to do is go issue – go through a couple of issues like we were just talking about and then talk about some effective strategies per issue to hit. Makes sense? Like, instead of just saying, like, hey, call your reps, right? We could actually, I can actually speak a little bit to who to call uh-huh. uh, or how to call or if to call at all. Sometimes a letter works just as well. <clears throat> the big thing that I've learned over the past year of activism is if you contact, so you've got your reps, right? you've got your two senators and your, and your congressperson. But there's also other members of the government apparatus that you can contact 
directly. And when we talk a lot about this idea of like, oh, it's the boring stuff, it's the boring stuff. And it is. It's the stuff that doesn't make a lot of um a lot of headlines because it's it's hard to make talking about a defense budget uh-huh. interesting. It's hard to put that on CNN and have people be like, "Yeah, I agree. I disagree." Right. Like it's 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 wonky and it's, and a little bit uh It's really hard. Workish. It's really hard to fit into a tweet. That too, right? Oh boy, well, that's a whole another world. But uh-huh. uh but so and so the thing is is that when you contact officials who are sort of less notable but influential. Now, this is not a direct one-to-one analog, but one of the activists I work with said that one of the things he does is he, every now and again, will write to the state attorney general Hmm. and say, thank you for filing the following suits that you filed. Or in past years, he would would, uh, reach out to this attorney general and be like, how dare you file that suit? It's really important that this thing stands. And I think that you filing that suit makes me mad. But a lot of people don't send letters to their state attorney general, or in the case of like a defense budget, um, we really do have to lean on Congress for that. But there are other things, there are other officials you can contact even inside of the military that you can send, uh, either emails or direct letters to. Now, in this case, in the budget case, I don't know who you would talk to besides your representative. Yeah. But what I am trying to put out there is that when there are issues like this, you want to look for is who's the person that would handle this. And you can contact that person most of the time if they're a government employee. And you can absolutely have more of a sway if they're someone who doesn't get contacted a lot. Sure. Um, And that's, I think, a really important thing to do because it's important to remember that, like, uh, that these people, you know, essentially work for the American citizen and granted they don't need to respond to your request, but there's nothing saying you can't send someone an informed letter yeah. about why you think X policy needs to be implemented and you'll usually get response like, you know, and, and maybe it's a form letter, but as this guy was telling me, he said that like if he called, he could actually have a substantive conversation with someone in the office because they were usually willing to talk about it with him. Yeah. So it is important to know that you can call agencies and they usually have an apparatus that you can um, file complaints or requests through. Yeah, that's true. All you know, just about every government agency has some uh, sort of public affairs office. Uh, and uh, you're, you're absolutely right. There's it is it is 100% legitimate to present them questions, complaints, uh, just uh, suggestions, uh, and you'll get some sort of response. And if and if you get a response that you don't like, well, now you've got something that you can take. You know, we 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 talk a lot about um, you know trying to shape the opinion of your congressional representatives on various policy issues to get them to vote uh, one way or the other on, on bills or whatever. Uh, but they also have a tremendous amount of power and influence to affect those government agencies and to get accountability, right? Because all of those government agencies have to get their budget from Congress, right? And all of those 
de- uh, department secretaries have to go before Congress and tell them what's going on and what they're going to spend that money on and what their priorities are, etc. And if your congressional representative is unhappy with the conduct of those agencies um, because you've, you've uh, asked them questions and you've gotten a lot, not a response that you like, uh, then they're going to bring that up in those hearings and they're going to hold those, you know, hopefully they're going to hold those uh, those government employees accountable and potentially cut off their funding if they if they're not exactly and it's important to know that if one if you don't if you get an answer you don't like from one of these places you can always go to the other so if you don't like what your representative is saying you can go directly to the source and be like i think you need to do these things it may or may not work but or you can go to learn directly to the source if you don't like what they're saying you can go to your representative mm-hmm. but it is important to know that you're not that you you have options, we have options, and that, like you said, they have public relations departments. I think everyone should call the Pentagon and say, like, hey, I heard that we need to hashtag audit the Pentagon. <laughs> uh-huh. I think you guys need. To, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop with this one. That blows my mind that we've never audited the Pentagon. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and recently, um, that reminds me. Uh, uh, so, so uh, it, it turns out the the they have scheduled an audit. Congress has 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 asked for that audit. Uh, they've instructed the Pentagon that they have to be audited, and right now the Pentagon is in the process of explaining to Congress why uh, they really can't be audited because it would be really, really hard. I mean, I do my taxes every year, and yeah. every year it is, for me, proportionally, it is really, really hard. Sure. I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's going to be hard. But you have, like, you have professionals working for you. That's right. Someone... Yeah, it's so true. So well, listen, um, I think we have to leave it there just because I uh, have to, I have to run out of here. Uh-oh. And uh, so I've, I've got, but I want to, I want to hit a couple of things before we go. Yeah. Something that I didn't hit the last couple of times we've done this, which is that I want to ask everyone who's listening to this. If you, if you like what you're hearing, please go to iTunes and rate and review us because it makes a big difference. Give us a five-star review. Even if you're like, I don't know. It's kind of like a four-star podcast. I'm going to encourage you to go the extra mile. And you know what? Just just give it a five stars. Come on. It makes it easier for people to find us. The iTunes, the iTunes sort of like landscape is actually a really hard place to get noticed. So if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review and review us. Write something down about what you like about yeah. it. Um, and if you don't like us, you know what? Just leave that area blank. But give that five stars anyway. That's right. Um also, if you want to hear things, if you're like, hey, I really like when you do this or I don't like when you do that, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. We're uh, at Over There Pod. Mm-hmm. You can reach out to us on Facebook. We're at uh, it's Facebook backslash Over There Podcast. And you can always find us on Gmail uh, at Over There Pod at gmail.com. So we love to hear from from people who are listening to the podcast. We want to know more about what you like. We want to know what you could do with less of. We want to know basically like how you feel about this stuff. So, so please let us know because it helps us a great amount. Mm -hmm. That's all I have. I know I I took off with gusto and then I just stopped. I was like, (laughs) that's it. That's it. That's all. That's, that's a, that's, I think that's, that's a good amount. So, well, listen, Matt, uh, like I said, I have to run out. I've got, uh, I've got I've got a show that's that's coming up tomorrow oh, and I've got a million things that I have to get ready for it. Sure. But uh thanks for sitting down and talking to me today and uh yeah. and helping to ease and yet at the same time heighten my anxiety <laughs> about the world. A slow burn, <laughs> that's what we're after. 
Exactly. But but next time we're going to talk a little more about uh, activist strategies in uh, relation to specific problems that we're yeah. dis- that we're running into with the Trump presidency. We can kind of help get people motivated on that front. But otherwise, Matt, thanks again. And I will see you next time over there. I'll see you over there as well, Terry. Over and out. That our boys are coming, our boys are coming, the drums rum coming everywhere. So prepare, say a prayer, send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, we're coming over, and we won't come back till it's over. over.